Hey, everybody. Hello. How's it going? I'm good. You're good. I was asking the viewers, but or the listeners, but I'm glad that I'm glad to know that you're good because you know you're someone this, I care about. Um, this we can all be on the same level, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing well. Also, uh, this is a special episode. It is. Um, we are. I mean, they're all special, right? They're all very. Way. Yeah, to us, they're all special. But this one's a special. <laughs> um, out of the, uh, this it's canon. This episode is canon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the timeline. Yeah, it is in the timeline. However, it is a little one-off episode. We are going to be talking all about The Shining and things all around The Shining yes. because it is the Ford. Much like me, The, the Shining turns forty this year, <laughs> and it, and it is. Uh, it was yesterday, actually. Today is uh, Memorial Day. Yesterday was the day, yeah. but uh, it did come out Memorial Day weekend, nineteen eighty. Absolutely. Um, so that's what today, this what this episode is all about. This episode, like all of our episodes, though, is brought to you by Wolf Tracks T-shirts and Designs, which Ian will break down for you right now. Yes, yes, they are a printing company, an art company. They do shirts, they do posters, they do stickers, whatever you want. You got a design, they'll put it on something. You don't have a design, their artist and operator, Steve Likens, will draw you something up. The man's a great dude, he's done all of our stuff. Uh, you can contact him at 910-538-2474 or find them on Facebook at Wolf Tracks T-Shirts and Designs and talk to him about that stuff you want to put on some stuff and they'll get it done for you professionally and quickly. And if you mention freshly baked crackers, They'll hook you up with a free setup and art fee sort of waiver to get you going and get you ready to do some business. So contact Steve Likens, put some shit on some shit. Now, now obviously, uh, they do all sorts of printing on all sorts of different things, but uh, a really the awesome, awesome draw uh, for from Wolf Tracks Teachers Designs is that you're getting someone's actual artwork and not yes. and 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 not to diminish the artwork made in the computer, but this is. No. Uh, this is someone like that draw, hand draws these things, and he absolutely, draws, and he draws in a very awesome uh, comic style. He's been doing that, comic that, book art and general art for for decades. The man's got excellent talent and skill. If will, you want he, clip art, he can do it. But he will that's draw not why things, you're calling. He draws things. He draws things to me uh, that are that you've never seen before, but are completely familiar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Touches of all the things that that have inspired him, but they are Steve Likens personal things it's a great thing like i can look at uh things and that he's drawn it's like i've never seen that before but i i've i know it yeah absolutely i know how it feels in a good way Um, a a lot of it to me even though it doesn't necessarily look alike a lot of times but a lot of steve's art reminds me of saturday morning cartoons as a kid right that that same homey feeling mm -hmm, 100 percent. and steve can make take that kind of art and put that on something for you Absolutely. Um, so if Make it you, personal. If you for have you. a podcast, if you have, uh, you know, if you have a band, if you have, yeah. you know, it'd be a charity I'm, event, anything, anything. Um, besides, I'm just trying to think outside the box of what people usually get printing stuff for, but things that people that really utilize this awesome artwork. Man, I tell you what, like I just said, if you're a band, uh, you should definitely get a hold of Wolf Tracks because absolutely they could do some really kick ass stuff for you. Um, and it'd be unique. It's your shit. You know, it's, absolutely. It's so great absolutely um definitely like man if you were like a steve could make some killer shit if you were like a fucking stoner doom metal band 
Oh right. You know that wrote that wrote songs about like like a Hercules type character or oh, yeah. or a or a, uh, a Conan type character. Conan, yeah, absolutely. Oh man, like oh, I'd like to see Steve do some kind of cool Mastodon. Get that heavy metal shit, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like a seven inch single of Mastodon that's got artwork by Steve on it. Anyway, guys. Hey Mastodon, uh, contact Wolf Tracks T-shirts and designs. Yeah, if you, I know the guys from Mastodon. Listen, so uh, <laughs> of course, yeah, they are our biggest fans. So you guys definitely. Uh, met the bass player from Mastodon and a Bonnaroo, strangely enough. Oh, interesting. Um, anyway, this episode is not about any of that stuff. Um, <laughs> although we do, we are sponsored by Wolf Tracks. This episode is all about The Shining. So yes. um, here we are to talk about all things involving the what is now, 40 years later, almost <laughs> becoming a Shining universe. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, looking forward to that uh building and growing from here on out so we're going to talk all about that we're going to talk about our our because i don't know if Ian even understands how big my fandom for the shining is <laughs> right um, it's one of my favorite things in the history of film so like i'm really excited about this so uh awesome anyway here we go i got to do the last one so you uh soup these motherfuckers oh yeah guys we're gonna talk some good shit and here's the soup You're listening to the Freshly Baked Crackers Podcast. Freshly Baked Crackers. With your hosts, Josh Guster and Ian Maxwell. Here is the soup. <laughs> this is the Freshly Baked Crackers Podcast. Hey everybody, it's me, Ian. And it's me, Josh. And we're talking about one of our favorite things uh, all around, I think, uh, from all the media that it sort of spreads across to the sequel to a prequel. We're talking The Shining today for the 40th uh, anniversary. The Shining, yes. Yes, indeed. I'm so stoked. Like, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about with everything that's been going on. I wasn't even thinking about it being the 40th anniversary of The Shining. Same. And when I, it came it, up it the other day, I was like, me. we got to do something for it. Yes, we got to do so. So I personally, I've loved. I mean, as a kid, as a kid, uh, I I saw the movie um, right. when I was younger. Um, not real young, but like at some point, I saw an HBO or something. Right. Um, I, I'm pretty sure when I was a kid. Obviously, it came out when I was born. I was, <laughs> right. I was six months old when it came out, so <laughs> I wasn't uh, or five months old. I wasn't really like. Uh, seeing it until i was much much older but when i did see it on hbo i don't remember obviously i, I was so young i didn't get it really at first right. but i thought it was very cool and i remember specifically like the blood in the elevators and yeah you know that kind of stuff and like and specifically the, to this day what popped out as me as a kid and still my favorite scene is danny riding through the oh, hotel you know yes. like one of the great scenes in film history. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And even as a kid, I was just captivated by how it looked and, you know, for different reasons, obviously. And it scared me so much when he went by the door. And yeah, I, I remember just, oh, and, and I, I loved it. And then, and then when I became a teenager, I got obsessed with reading King. Right. And course. that's when I finally got around to reading the book and, you know, everything basically that Stephen King had out <laughs> in 1994, 93, whatever right. it was. And, uh, yeah, and I've just been a big, big fan ever since, you know, and like it, it's one of the things that 
pushed me towards going to school for cinematography, obviously, because it got me right. into, it was, it was a mainstream movie that pushed me towards more avant-garde films. Absolutely. Since I can it see that. was, since it was Kubrick, you know, yes. and like, it was something that made, and, uh, <clears throat> I just love it. I, I love every, I love every single bit of it. And, yeah. I, um, and I've been a fan ever since, you know, I love, and we'll, we'll talk about all these things, but you know, love the documentary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then last year for, to me, and we weren't doing the podcast at the time, but to me, if we had been doing the show at the time, Dr. Sleep would have been a huge fucking deal. Right. Because I have the reverence for Dr. Sleep that I have for the Watchmen series. Oh yes. <laughs> um, I, nice. I, I really, really, I mean, I went and saw it in theaters by myself. I was so excited right. to see it. I didn't at the time. I mean, you're not around me, so I don't know. Right. There's a lot of times when I don't know who the fuck I'm going to ask to go to some of this stuff around here. Yeah, absolutely. So like I was just working one day and got bored and pulled over and champagne and went and saw it. And, uh, fuck, I loved it. I loved Man, it. And I've yeah. and, and bought it the day it came out and I've seen it. So anyway, that's my history kind of with The Shining. I mean, what, what, uh, what's your first record? How, how did you discover this film? Well, my dad was big into film uh, when I was growing up and was always like showing me all different kinds of things. He was big into like Westerns and stuff, but he loved Kubrick films. And he showed me 2001 when I was like six. So it went way the fuck over my head. Didn't know what was going on, but he showed me The Shining at one point when I was a little too young for it, more than likely. It scarred me a little bit. But Even though I you saw that's... 2001 that young and, and didn't understand the themes of it, you still, I'm sure, were captivated by the visuals of it. Yes, it was like such Absolutely. a a mind-blowing thing especially when we're watching normally like you know westerns and the type and you see something like 2001 and and the way that Kubrick shoots especially that film in particular it's literally otherworldly I mean and and it is so captivating at that that age and so when you hear that there's something that this man did that's scary uh you know and even at a young age I loved horror and stuff right my mom's a big creep we're all creeps you know so uh I was really into the idea of it and watched it a little too young but it did what it needed to do. You know, it stuck with me and it, it really hung on. So over the years I would reintroduce myself to it uh, as I would just think about it and film in general. Uh, you know, that's something that we've, we've talked about. I, f- I feel like a theme that's popped up on this show a few times and something that I really hold dear to my heart. And this might sound really silly, but something I think that is so important to at least people like you and I, people right. who, who become you and I when they become adults, <laughs> I think those things that we see too early as far as like movies and stuff are important. I agree. I don't like, think that, I don't think necessarily that it should be a gratuitous thing where like a parent is just showing a seven year old saw movies, you know, like, right. but like, but I also think that for some reason when I was in third or fourth grade and I saw nightmare on Elm street three, that is not a bad memory. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? That's no. not something that I look back on with terror and think of, like I, I can, that that's a really, really good memory of mine that I got. Right. That I went to a friend's house, whose mom didn't really fucking pay attention to that shit. He just had <laughs> right, it on right. VHS. We're like in third grade. We watched Nightmare on Elm Street three, and I and I, it's important. I think some of that stuff's important. 
Oh yeah, I mean, well, like you know, staying up uh, as a kid late and watching HBO, catching uh, Clerks for the first time when I'm like ten or eleven. Sure. You know, like, these things really fundamentally changed the way I looked at film oh, and totally keep, grabbed why you know I you, wanted to watch film in general. You spring um, chicken, you. There wasn't a Clerks when I was eleven. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but like that—that's the thing. I think there's a piece of it that, especially as children, were fast. I mean, as adults too, fascinated with the the sort of unknown, whether it be the fear aspect or just not knowing a thing. And so when we see something a little too young, uh, if it doesn't fuck us up fundamentally, which I don't think anything I ever experienced in my youth in film has ever fucked me up permanently as a person, uh, but you have these things that even the, the thematic elements that you just simply don't understand because you don't have the life experience. So that curiosity about what these things mean and every time you gain life experience and you rewatch these things, you gain something new every time and i think that that certain desire to seek out what these things mean that we experienced before we understood what even the world meant i think keeps you going at least it does for me you know um well if i like that yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean and, and the shining itself specifically is such a like mysterious entity that even like yes. as an adult re-watching it yesterday like i still am finding stuff that intrigues me and I still want to know more about and, and still need to grasp for, or uh, it's, it's such a deep and fascinating film. And, and then later in my life, uh, about 15, 14, 15, I, I read the book uh, actually sure. one time trapped with my father uh, for a summer when, uh, after my folks had split and sort of really feeling that like uh, uncertainty about what was going on with my own parental figure at the time. It was a very connecting story. And, and seeing like what was oh, wow. different between the book and the film and what was the same was very interesting. And like it made me in hindsight mad at certain things in the movie at that time. But uh, as I've grown older, I've realized that like they're, they're two different things. It's like we talk about alternate universes and comic books. Like the shining, the book can be amazing and fun and its own thing. And Do you so guys have can a dog? Kubrick shining. Oh, sorry. That's the neighbor's. Uh, oh no, it's okay. I was just like, I, didn't, I was like, I don't, I'm not worried about the noise. I'm just like, I didn't know they got a dog. I thought they yeah, just had no, a cat. Yeah, we got a quiet kitty underneath oh, me. Yeah. Yeah, damn neighbor dogs. Oh, um, it's okay. I love dogs. I don't even mind it down the podcast. Just... <laughs> yeah, right. they, they can be, they're guests, extra guests. Um, he loves The Shining too. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, and then after reading The Shining, like you said, sort of dove all into. Uh, Stephen King stuff and even found myself enjoying Dr. Sleep, how weird it was at the time, uh, especially compared to what The Shining is. And I think that that, which we'll talk about it more later when we actually delve into the film, but I think that um, like the differences between the two were so fascinating to me because they took place in the same world and right. like the same sort of people, but the feel is so different. They're completely and, uh, different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially film-wise. Film, yeah. well, oh, yeah. I shouldn't say that because, it, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I have not read Dr. Sleep. Oh. I didn't, because it came out later. It came <laughs> you, out later look, on. Like I'm one of the few people and, that did. Like It's right, well, not a very popular one. What, of what year did Dr. Sleep come out? I want to say 98, maybe 94. Uh, I do know that, like you said, it was like a latter, it was a latter-day book of his. Um. Oh my god, I pulled all this stuff up earlier like a fool. Let's see. 2013. Oh god, 2013. Holy shit. Uh, he yeah. talked about it in 98, uh, that he had come up with the idea even oh, okay. a little bit after, like in the 70s. Um, 
but yeah, 2013. So it's definitely like a Latter Day King. Yeah, yeah it's, see, the reason, it's weird. That's, that's kind of why. Like I, I'll be honest with you. There's a point where I kind of got out of King, and I kind of have haven't I haven't read a lot of newer Stephen King stuff. And then you tell me that they've made right. a, a sequel to The Shining, and I'll be honest with you, that doesn't that doesn't. But I'm the kind of person that's skeptical about that as much because I'm, you know, there's different people when it comes to loving something like that. There's the people who yeah. are immediately welcoming of something like a sequel, you know, 33 years later. Yeah. Or no, the book was, the book was, uh, The Shining was. 77. Yeah. So 36 years later. Yeah. Um, you know, like to me, that's just like, really, dude, that seems like you're like going back to the well, hardcore. Well, and so he's like, never, so like, I mean, I besides like his I, actual series, he's never really done sequels. Sure. Anyway. And so I, I very much discounted it. I feel like I feel like I mm-hmm. thought that. Oh man, I, well, I, most I, people did. And I, and I feel bad, but I'll be very honest. You know, I was just like, I, I, well, Stephen King's getting old. He doesn't have anymore, and he's got to go back <laughs> right. and try to and try to make some money by, or stay relevant by trying to make a, a, a sequel to The Shining. Little did I know, it's I don't know how the book is. The film is fucking tremendous. <laughs> yeah I fucking uh, the, love it and i ordered the fucking book yesterday off of amazon so nice. like, i've i've i'm i'm reading i'm reading next uh i'm finishing up stern's book um his, oh, right. th- his nice. third book which i really enjoyed it's just it's just a collection of his best uh interviews but after this i'm oh, reading cool. dune for the first time oh yeah that's right you were talking about that before i yeah. just bought i just got that i've never got around to reading dune and then Same. i'm going to read dr sleep nice uh after that so it's uh it's a schlock fest. But I mean, honestly, let's all be real here. I love Stephen King more than just about any author ever. He's a schlock king, and he'll be the first to tell you yeah. that, you know, he writes pulp novels. Uh, you know, and, and Dr. Sleep is very pulpy. It's, it, and that's actually why I liked the way that the movie is, too. To me, and with the book as well, it's not The Shining, and it isn't supposed to be. It features Danny and The Shine and these sort of things, but it is a, like, more of a, a sort of, thriller almost noir kind of thing just like the movie this you know sort of noir sort of thriller going on as opposed to being a full-on horror film or even a ghost story i like and, that we're uh, skipping the shining but pretty much because i feel like <laughs> I know, I just it's, it's, wanted to it's gush kind of, about it's, well it's kind of been done to death and we all we both yeah. just can say that we love it um i will say before we get to dr sleep though i would like to know so have you seen the documentary uh what, room 237 room or, yes um, so what out of all of those what is are any of those plausible to you Man, I think that most of them are a complete stretch. I think what's really funny is most people I feel like are half right, and then they go deep into this weird conspiracy ther- yeah. territory where it's like, yes, Kubrick was very, very uh, methodical and specific about what he did and, and things like that, but I don't know necessarily if he was making these huge leaps of allegories. But the one that actually really stuck with me, and I kind of feel like if anything would be something he would do, was the uh, synchronicity of playing the film forward and backwards at the same time. It, okay. It's insane how well the stuff kind of matches up in there. And Kubrick to me seems like the kind of dude who would have fucked with the editing so much and been curious about the filmmaking aspect of it more than just the hidden messages aspect of it. Right. Um, but if it's not something he did on purpose, it's the weirdest goddamn coincidence I have ever seen in a thing. Like, it's so interesting how it lines up so perfectly it is a very symmetrical film regardless of whether he did that on purpose or right. not and it's very fascinating to me see i feel the same way that you feel about the native american shit oh shit okay 
it's I think there's a chunk of it in so there for sure. Prevalent. There's so much stuff. And I know like I don't necessarily think that it's like some conspiracy either beneath it, but I think there's definitely a lot of added to keep reminding you yeah. that something happened there. Well, but and the, the uh, research team did a lot to figure out what was going on in the area in Colorado specifically where it was supposed to be taking place. And they got a lot of this historical right. information about Native American tribes and this kind of thing. So it's definitely there and very prominent. I mean, there's lots of imagery in there for it. But Now, the Overlook Motel is two different motels. Yes. I don't know if you're aware of that. The outside is yeah. one place in, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And the inside is in Colorado. Mm. And, oh, the and sets in the uh, in the UK as well. Okay, um, so I've been to the Timberline Lodge, which is the exterior. Okay, I've been there nice. a couple times actually. I've been there. It's on Mount Hood, right outside of Portland. Yes, you can drive right up there. Uh, so I've been in that, and it on the inside, it is nothing like. Uh, but it is all about oh, yeah, because I mean, all about Native American stuff on the inside of it, though. It's in Oregon too. Yeah, it's very uh, big up yeah. in that area. But, I mean, Kubrick was famously terrified of flying. Every movie he ever filmed interiors in were done in the UK on sound stages mm-hmm. or in locations in the UK. So yeah, that outside bit actually where they're walking through the parking lot and uh, Ullman is showing the family the grounds. Mm-hmm. The exterior there next to the uh, maze is actually a outdoor built set that's a composite of like how the hotel looks from the front, but jammed together sideways. Okay. Built completely up there. Uh, the maze was all completely built in the UK as well. Like yes, that stuff that. is really interesting. Yeah. Cause if you ever went to where the hotel is, there's no room for the maze. No, no. It's like on a mountain. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's like on, on one side of it, it's almost like cliff side. It's very close yeah. to the cliff. Um, it's awesome though. It's beautiful up there. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I had, it's one of those things where it's like, I had the first time I was there, I had the opportunity. Actually, I may have gone three times. I've been to Portland four times, but every time it's, well, it's a beautiful drive too. Right. So just about seeing that part of the country is amazing. It's a ski resort. They're skiing up there now. Right. So which it looks really different because you get there now and they have a big, uh, like awning in front of the building. So it doesn't <laughs> necessarily look the exact same in the front. Oh, that's, that's um, disappointing. But they pulled all that off whenever they went back. Cause they went back and shot exteriors there again. Yeah. Um, and great. they, uh, they, it's, so it's like, it's, it looks, it's obviously like something that's tacked on there, but then, uh, yeah, so there's you know, those like banners for like ski classes and <laughs> shit like that. So and there's it's like active and there's all sorts of people up there. So and funny. It's, and it's not at all the fucking you know the shining whatsoever. Right. Because um, you know the Overlook Motel is there's no one ever there except for the no. the, the last day of the year. That's it. Um, yeah. The only time we ever see anyone there. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's so um, obviously yeah so. I think that's. I think it's very cool, though. I think that the whole movie is very awesome with all the different theories and shit. I think it's awesome mm-hmm. that Kubrick was the kind of director that he could make a piece of art that would fuel that many ideas. Nobody else really has a documentary made about any film, no matter like accolades or not, that break it down in this way. That have so not many yet. people having so many specifically different interpretations that go so deep. Like that, that is Kubrick for you. Yeah, you, 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 give, you, you give it. 10 years from now and we'll see what people say about tenant but we'll get to that in our next episode <laughs> i have i i i have the biggest nerd boner in the history of the world for tenant i can't fucking wait anyway oh, i think i think nolan is our artur at this point i think that he is the person that is out there right now that is going to push film forward 
For sure, yeah, especially when it comes to like uh, doing like like what Kubrick did, the idea of moving the technologies forward. Yes, and, he and is. He is our Kubrick. He is. Yeah. He is my generation and your generation is Kubrick. He is. I can buy that. He is. Uh, oh man, I like. He gets me excited. Like him and Tarantino just get me excited like nobody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, they, they make movies like no other. You know, it's, they do. They do, and it's it's wild how. Um, in a world, in a world, in a world where so much stuff is sequelized, um, you know, or re, re, redoes, or reboots, mm-hmm. uh, remakes, and stuff like that, that the people who really still to this day are looked at like the true auteurs are the guys who are coming up with unique and original ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something that may be inspired by another thing, but isn't just, yeah, a direct redo or retread or whatever yeah we don't have enough of those guys but i guess that's what makes them special too i mean you know if we had a million kubricks then we wouldn't have had documentaries like room 237 that kind of thing you know right right we needed we need these individuals to be uh (laughs) shining lights i guess so fast forward years and years of being a giant fan of both of us being giant fans of this film Mm -hmm. and of november of last year all of a sudden, here it is, Dr. Sleep. Never thought it would happen. I, I didn't. The book was so under my radar that I only remember it being mentioned. And then I went back and looked at it once the movie was uh, announced. Right. Then I was like, oh, that's right. There was that fucking sequel to The, the Shining that I never, yeah. fucking, that I never you, took seriously. And you tell people it's adult Danny fighting fucking psychic vampires. And they're like, wait, the this is a sequel to the fucking shining. Like it's, it's even so if it wasn't a sequel wall. to the shining, it kind of sounds like a stupid movie. <laughs> yeah. It's silly. You like, know? It sounds real silly. And like, I didn't, I just thought it was a thing to waste a day. Right. I didn't think Ooh. that when I went in that movie theater, I didn't think that I would be talking, you know, in May of the next year and saying that besides Endgame, it's the best movie of last year. Right. It's my favorite movie that came out last year, except for Endgame. Fuck yeah. I can buy I it. fucking adore it. And it's, like you said, it is nothing like The Shining. It is no. not the sequel to The Shining in the sense that sequels are like Back to the Future 1 and 2 and 3. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it has flavors to it. There's that oppressive soundtrack, the mm-hmm. the same kind of sweeping shots and, and weird angles, but the the plot and the feel and everything is just it's a completely different monster i just want to say that's not to shit on back to the future one team three at all oh no no i adore the back to the future films and in fact i'm going to uh i'm about to paint and redo my garage and theme it back to the future excellent Um, yeah i mean i've got like uh uh, plans for the DeLorean and stuff that I'm going to hang on the walls. Oh, that's red. Fuck yeah. Uh, uh, The the letter that Doc leaves for Marty. I love it. I've got a bunch. So yeah, I'm theming <laughs> out the fucking garage back to the future. Anyway. Um, but yeah, no shit on back to the future, but yeah, yeah, like it is, it is not what, when you're thinking of this, of a sequel to, I mean, even like talking about the Watchmen as a comparison, like that feels like a sequel to Watchmen. Like it's it, in tone and in themes feels like Watchmen, but this besides the fact that it shares the universe and concepts is so different in how it is done and themed and, it's very interesting, but at the same time, it rhymes a lot of things with, and I think this is really cool. Something I want to touch on some is that the way that they incorporate things from the film to make the film 
to make Doctor Sleep a direct sequel to The Shining movie while still staying very true to the book right. is, is pretty cool. It's a really neat little tightrope that they walked that I, I was very interested while I was watching, just kind of going, oh, fuck, that's neat. You know, like having him blow up the Overlook Hotel at the end uh, when that's something that's actually the end of the book of The Shining, you know, and that like right. the, the climax of the Dr. Sleep book is on the grounds of the Overlook Hotel, but the, the hotel is gone, you know. So having them pull the hotel back and do this little recreation of the film shots and stuff was was fucking cool. I really like that. And, and, and that's exactly how King feels. Mm-hmm. He feels like it, it, it said it, it said it made him look at the Shining film a lot differently because he notoriously doesn't right. like it. And yes. now he kind of looks back and now he doesn't have those feelings nearly as much about the Shining film. Yeah. You know, you know like, I mean, I get it kind of with King, but it's also like, man, a dude took, you made a book that was, a, you wrote a book that was an incredible, incredible book. And people loved it. It's adored. Yes. And then another, um, like, arguably, you know, some of people would say the greatest director of all time, mm-hmm. um, if not the one of the, you know, well, definitely yeah. on the Mount Rushmore. Top of the list. Yeah, definitely. He took it and definitely changed some stuff, but he made one of the greatest films ever created yes. with characters and things that you made. You just be happy with that. Like, why would you? Well, I'm just the not problem that, is that it's, I can't imagine living a lifetime yeah. where you're upset about that. Well, it's King's most personal book, particularly sure. at that time. And the that's, writing. I think, part of the yeah. problem. And it's, and it's not just about the writing aspect. It's how Jack Torrance is portrayed in the film. That, like, Jack is Stephen in, in a lot of ways. He was struggling with alcoholism at the time uh, and trying to deal with that sort of thing and feeling these weird, like he said, antagonistic feelings about his children and things like that. And that's sort of where the, the place sort of came from, these this sort of dark confession, he said, about how he felt inside was what Jack Torrance was sort of being. And in the book, Jack very much is like, though he fucked up because of his alcoholism, you know, breaks Danny's arm prior to the story happening and, and, you know, assaulting a student. But he's a fairly normal guy who has some problems, who eventually just fucking loses it completely. Well, Jack Nicholson is insane from top to bottom in the very first scene we see him in, those eyebrows and everything. Jack is crazy from the beginning, and that's something yeah. that's always kind of bothered Steve. As soon as he's sitting across the table from those dudes, it's just the like, way he's fucking looking at him and making those, uh, uh, you know, the way he talks. He's that just whole that. conversation. The <laughs> even as a child, before I'd ever had a job in my life, as I'm watching this, I'm just like, with this, why idea. would you hire this guy with this kind of <laughs> attitude in an interview? He's clearly a psychopath and yeah. wants to murder his wife and child. <laughs> Abel, this guy is clearly not totally good right now. And yes. you guys are just like, let's leave, let's let's definitely leave him at this palatial multi-million dollar fucking uh resort for this winter. Yeah. Feed exactly. Him, feed him and his family and give him tons of money. Let's just do that. It sounds like and a, tell him a ghost story ahead of time as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love that plant seeds in his head. I don't know if you've ever, if you know that part, but in that scene, it's an impossible window. Yes, I love that bit. So actually, that yeah. was something else that I really enjoy about Room 237 and pointing out the sort of impossible architecture of the hotel. Yep. The fact that talking about the shots of Danny riding down the hallways and stuff, we get a real sense of how this hotel is set up. But at the same time, even with that knowledge and watching how it goes, it doesn't always fit. And it's yeah. unnerving subconsciously. I fucking love it. And you know Kubrick did that on purpose. Absolutely. Every I mean, along with the fact it. that even the most mundane scene in the film, 
has the most bone chilling, tense soundtrack happening. Like the score is constantly oppressive no matter what is happening. So you never feel quite comfortable, e- even when the Torrenses are comfortable. It's, it's great. So, Dr. Sleep. Yes, back to the sleep. Um, also, just wanted to a throwback to an earlier episode this season. Um, if you're going to do a tongue in cheek name, that's kind of on the nose, but you don't want to be stupid about it. Abra is good. Unobtained name sucks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. She's, she's got a power. Her name's basically Abracadabra, but they right. just call her Abra and it's clever instead of being fucking unobtainium. Yeah. And you know, and that's like a cute family thing as opposed to like some, like I would have, Imagine that Unobtainium was named by a guy who runs a mineral facility. Like you couldn't come up with something better than that. Like, right? At least Abra is a cute name, you know. <laughs> so we get to a shining. Um, oh, and also, let's before we get to because I feel like a big chunk of this is going to be about Doctor Sleep. Let's <laughs> let's take a quick second to just make mention of the calamity that was the Shining Ooh. miniseries. Oh, King's King's Dream Come True. You mean? Yes. <sighs> He was so excited for it to happen. Yes. Um, I mean, he was very hands-on as well. It's He's so like third bad. unit director. Man, it's, and it, but it's, it's that beautiful, specific 90s kind of bad where yeah. the CG is awful and the makeup is also somehow awful. And it's got the guy from Wings that isn't Monk or Sandman. And like, it just doesn't quite feel right. But it is like closer to the book. I can't give it that. I was 17 when it came out. It was uh, my junior high school. Oh, boy. And uh, I remember being so excited and, like, you know, coming, sitting in front of the TV of an evening <laughs> and waiting for this shit to come on. And it was just so bad. And that kid, that fucking Cortland Mead kid playing Danny, Oof. I want him He's to bad. not work anymore. <laughs> you're fine i think he i think he got his comeuppance oh my god it's and and we're like what just four years off of that really really good fucking stand uh mini series that was out and and then so you see in this thing and you're like oh a shining mini series you know it's like maybe this will be the same same as the stand it fucking be solid but bro i think it's the same dude that directed it oof yeah i know that it's like abc that did both uh but man he really lost his groove in those four years or something. Or maybe King should stop working in movies because everything he touches film-wise is a little goofy. I'd be like, I love Creep Show, but come on. <laughs> yeah, same guy directed it. And Maximum they, Overdrive, come on. And they, uh, yeah, the same dude directed it. ABC mm. was like, uh, let's, uh, let, well, they let King write it. Yeah. Wrote the script. Yeah. So... Yeah. Oh man, and the way they handled Tony, you know, I fucking do not like, that's like the one thing that I have to knock on The Shining, and it's actually something that I got in retrospect because of the book. I really don't like the way that Tony is handled in the original Shining, the little finger thing. I guess it works, it's better than some sort of voiceover or whatever else you may have been able to do at the time. But having him be like a dude just sort of like floating in bad green screen in front of Danny in the 90s miniseries is so bad. It's so like extra level bad. Like, eh, let's do the finger thing. Is that okay? Can we bring the finger back? So the guy who directed it, he also directed Critters 2. Ooh. 
Um, he also directed the Crown of the Critters. Crow. He, he wrote Hocus Pocus. No shit. Yeah, he wrote. How he, do you he, do that and write Hocus Pocus? I don't it's know. So good. He also, uh, television-wise, he directed such great things as uh, the making of a bunch of different stuff, like The Howling, The Thing, <laughs> The Goonies. Oh. He directed some oh, of shit. amazing stories. He directed some episodes okay. of Freddy's Nightmares. He directed that really shitty psycho TV movie. Oh, my God. Um, then he did The Stand. Then he directed some episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Jesus. Yeah. Um, That's a resume. The did he have anything to do with the Langoliers? <laughs> did, they, did they not let him touch the Langoliers? No, they gave some someone even worse than him, the Langoliers, I think. <laughs> Most recently, he's... Uh, He's been doing episodes, directing episodes of Once Upon a Time. Okay. From 2007 to 2018. Pretty Little Liars. He did some work on that. Wow. Looks like. So, yeah. Unfortunately, that guy's had a really big career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe really The Shining is just the one bad thing, really, looking at it. I mean, I don't know. None of that is that great. Um, I feel <laughs> like... Uh, I feel like on a certain level that maybe if you do such a certain bad job... Like if you make the Shining miniseries that he made, then maybe you don't get to make movies anymore. And maybe you just have to go have a regular job. Yeah, I feel, right. I feel so like there's certain times when we don't, we shouldn't give people another chance. <laughs> because look what we got yes, from it. The, the Shining, yeah, exactly. You make something that bad. You make it, I don't know, certain points, just like, bro, you don't get to be famous. That was real, real bad. <laughs> you got to go manage, you know, a, a Menards or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, Mike I Flanagan brings us someone Dr. who has Sleep. directed really good films. Um, yeah. He uh, and did you watch Gerald's Game that he did? Uh, for not Netflix? yet. No, I really want to watch that too. That's something that's been on the list for a while. Um, I've heard really good stuff about that. It's good. It's not as good as Doctor Sleep, obviously. Doctor Sleep, right? I don't understand why Doctor Sleep didn't even get mentioned in any kind of. It didn't get mentioned in any kind of light with other and like I'm not crazy. It's very good. It is very good. Yeah, I know. It's not just you. Like, Ewan McGregor puts in such a good performance. It's got so really good. good tension as well as being, like, it's got funny moments. Like, it's, it's very well shot and directed. I mean, it's a beautiful movie. Uh, it does the best with, again, a really goofy print premise. It takes uh, psychic vampires and makes them legitimately threatening and yep. uh, a bit fucking unsettling, you know? And uh the I can't remember the name of the actress who plays Abra, but she's fucking great. I want to see her in more stuff. She's... Her name is Kylie Curran. Okay, yeah, she's I think, good. It's, I think it's pronounced Kylie. It's, Kylie? It's, it's spelled K-Y-L-I-E-G-H. Okay, yeah, probably Kylie. Yeah. So I think it's Kylie or Kylie. Um, but yeah, she's fucking tremendous in it. She's so good, yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, again, the, the way that it handles it, even as somebody who read the book, I'm sitting here going like, that's not something that would be a legitimately good movie. Like it would be something that I would like in like that silly sort of schlocky way, but no, they took this and turned it into like a fucking solid movie that mm -hmm. again, while you can't really say that it's like comparable to the shining, but again, most things aren't, it is a great fucking follow-up film, especially so for good. how long it had after, you know, and again, the source material it's got. Yeah, and Mike Flanagan, I think, is a solid director anyway. That dude can shoot really good stuff. Uh, Obviously, so McGregor is amazing in it. Oh, my God, um, yeah. I love McGregor what, anyway. What a, what a fucking 
treasure that son of a bitch is. Absolutely. You he know has what some I mean? fucking range, man. God damn it. That guy just, all that dude does is just make good decisions and put out, I mean, everyone's got some fucking faults in their career, but like, yeah. I remember from train spotting on, I've always <laughs> train, been yes. down with this dude's fucking career. If, if you McGregor put something out, eventually I want to see it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, in doing something like this role in, in Dr. Sleep to like immediately following it up as, with his portrayal of Black Mask and fucking Birds of Prey, like yes. those are two dramatically different people and he plays them both so fucking well. Like, but you that know dude those has, are two roles that if you or I woke up and were you and McGregor, we would take those roles. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You don't so turn like, that shit down. That makes me just like you and McGregor. That just makes yeah. me think that you and McGregor is probably into the same kind of shit we are. I mean, they <laughs> offered a fuckload of movies. You want to see the most delightful thing ever? And he's taken Dr. Sleep and Star Wars, you know, and fucking yes. Black Mask and shit like that. Like, he's obviously a, not just making movies for money. He's choosing projects. He that, loves to make yes, films. He yes, he likes to make. And, and then he's obviously got a very specific coolness to him that he's pursuing in these yeah. in his choices. He's um, got good street cred, yeah. Uh, I mean, you would really want to see the most delightful thing ever. Uh, look up a video of Ewan McGregor uh, getting to pick out the lightsaber hilt he will use in the prequel films. And you'll, oh, wow. he is a little boy in a candy shop. He's getting to oh, wow. touch all these hilts and just like play with them and spin them a little bit. And like just to see this, I mean, he is a dude who loves what he does and you really can feel it in his performances. And it's so wonderful that he gets, is getting to be Obi-Wan again. Yeah, absolutely. That makes me so happy. He, he just, deserves it. He just comes off as... And by the way, guys, we'll also talk about this on the next episode. If you haven't seen the newest episode of Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, it is absolutely fucking remarkable. It is one of the most incredible behind-the-scenes looks that I've ever seen about a film or a TV show. It is, I've watched it at least a half dozen times, just that episode. It is <laughs> so fascinating. And to see this technology that they built to film this show. I had no idea watching this show that it was right. all filmed in one fucking room pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, it's like the, the, again, going back to like the idea of filmmakers who evolved things, George Lucas, no matter what you can say, was always playing with the technology of making films. Well, like in and that the fact episode, that the Mandalorian's doing that, you know, when, when Kathleen Kennedy says when she came on, they had like 120 patents. Right. When she came onto the company at that point, already they had a hundred and some odd patents that they had, yeah. different things that they had built to make these different things. It's insane. I mean, even for the original Star Wars, he had developed and invented, like, worked on inventing a camera lens to to mm -hmm. shoot the miniatures and the action and stuff the way that it, like, he was always innovating films. So it's yeah. cool that, again, Filoni and Favreau just taking that legacy and running with it. Yeah, and it's cool that, like, he's not making star Wars movies anymore. So he can just go focus on preserving film and doing stuff like yes. that. Yeah. Because he's good at that. He's not necessarily a good director. No, but again, he sorry, loves sorry, George. film. He's you not, know, yeah, he's not know, a, he's not an actor's director. That's for sure. Let me, then we're still not on the shining, but I'm going to go off topic for <laughs> a more second is ask you, do you think that someone at some point, I mean, with Disney, Disney owns Lucas arts, right? They are Lucas film. Right. They bought mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yes. At what point does Disney remake American graffiti? Oh shit! They'll do it. They They'll do fucking it. do it. And They'll Harrison it Ford will point. be like the guy doing some fry cook shit in the back because they have to be cute like that. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> you Ron know what? Howard, like, Ron Howard will probably. Ron, yeah, do I that, mean, yeah. He he at least direct it. You know. Yeah. Oh, 
I actually wouldn't oh, hate that as we're talking about okay. the Ron Howard directed. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about that. Now let's talk. Okay. The <laughs> idea that they, now this American graffiti is not a sequel or anything. It is just a complete remake. Yes. Redo reboot. That would be, you know, that would be a very interesting. And the first time that that concept ever happened, the idea of someone who starred in a movie decades ago, then Being the one to becomes, the... yeah, becomes an award-winning director over his <laughs> yeah. career and then helms a remake of the movie that made him famous. I mean, right. well, not make him famous, but like no, obviously that... he was a gigantic star, but like his big movie that he it made was him in, a film star. Movies. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So made him a film star, not a TV star. Absolutely. Um, and I think that would be fucking remarkable, actually. Yeah. I mean, again, Who's... it's somebody like you talk about passion for the project or at least a connection to it, you know, and Ron Howard is also a listener. Yes, and Ron. He, so well, go for it, Ron. We'd like to see that out of you. We'd like to see that project. Make that happen. We'll talk, we'll talk about it at the next uh, Ginger Illuminati yeah. meeting. We'll, we'll I, will sure call, I will call Bob Iger. <laughs> yeah, get, Even get though he's on, on his way out at Disney, I'll call He's Iger. got some pull. Yeah, he's still yeah. got some pull there. And we'll see what in Kathleen Kennedy, and we'll just see what we can do as far as getting that out there. Um, but anyway, so, so here we have Dr. Sleep. <laughs> and... Like, like you said, it's a completely different fucking movie. It's a completely different story. It's even though it has two major characters from the, and I'm talking about the movie does, obviously the book doesn't Mm -hmm. have these two characters, but the movie has two of the major characters from the original movie, which are Danny and the hotel. um, Yes. In this. And it definitely like, you know, um, other people show up. Uh, right. I, I would say uh, that the guy cool. that they got to play uh, Dick uh, Halloran's ghost, man, that dude looks like a young Scatman Crothers. They really like they fucking nailed that casting. With that dude. oh yeah, he's he was he's amazing. Um, yeah. Carl Lumbly is his name. I love okay. Henry, I love Henry Thomas as Lloyd, the bartender. You know, yes, uh, that was pretty great. Slash Jack, um, <laughs> obviously, like like. Henry Thomas has had such an interesting career to start off as being Elliot <laughs> and E.T. Yeah. and to go through right. all this stuff. You know, like I love it when he shows, I love him in uh, Gangs of New York. You oh know, yeah, has, I forgot he shows up in that. Yeah. He's the guy gets killed and dies, uh, winds up <laughs> up on the, the fence. Um, Talking about a career, man. Yeah, that dude has really had some work. Um, but man, He's yeah. goodness. He does Jack good, man. And he then, and then somebody scowl. else. One of those guys, those those dudes who is in things, and you always love to see him show up in something, but mm. you don't know who the fuck he is. Is Cliff Curtis, and right. Cliff Curtis is in this movie. He's the dude that whenever Danny, the dude that runs the little miniature, uh, uh, oh yeah, train the, the thing. Billy. Yeah, he plays Billy Freeman in the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that dude is one of those dudes that when he shows up, I'm like, yes, I like this guy. This guy, I yes. enjoy. I enjoy him being in about everything he's in. Absolutely, um, he's he, really good. He's great in this too. He plays a mm-hmm. great role in it. Uh, we get we get Jacob Jacob fucking Tremblay, yeah, uh, and uh, get, getting his him his self murdered, right? And I love him, man. Uh, I, I've been blowing you up about that Harley Quinn cartoon. He plays Robin. He plays uh, Damien really? in a couple of episodes. Okay. It's hilarious. But I'm gonna if buy you've that seen, and watch it this week so we can talk about it on the next episode. Absolutely. I'll watch it. Got to check week. out Good Boys too. He's I've fucking seen Good hilarious. Boys. I really, oh, I really like. He's Good so Boys. fun in that. Do you yeah. watch Billy I like on him. the Street? Uh, some I, I haven't really caught up lately. There's but. an episode where he's on Billy on the street. Like, oh, awesome! Ladies, ladies, ladies! It's Jacob Tremblay. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you were so good on the Oscars. You were such a, <laughs> you're such a, a well put together little man. 
It's hilarious. I, that show is fucking outstanding. I've watched yeah, all of it at great. least three times. Nice. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Um, but yeah, he gets the shit murdered out of him. Oh my god. Yeah. I love sure a movie that, that isn't afraid to kill some kids. You don't see that. Very yeah, often. absolutely. I mean, I don't want to see any kids actually truly murdered, but I like oh, no. to see a movie of fiction that will go for it and put yeah. you put the audience in a fucked up place where they have absolutely. to sit through a kid being torture murdered, not just murder, but like to, murdered yes. to get his soul out of him. It is a brutal sequence. Yes. And that kid plays the hell out of it too. He does. Yeah, he's you a know, really good fucking actor. Talk about somebody I want to see. I would say that that's something shit. that, as a child actor, that is really hard to not overdo. Yes, absolutely. You, that that shows that this kid at his age has got a lot of nuance in his fucking shit already. Mm-hmm. He's and believable. You know, I, I think he's going to have a hell of a career. Agreed. I do, but let's be honest. For uh, I mean, let me let me just be open and honest about Doctor Sleep. My the standout thing for me that really makes the movie for me is the fact that even though there's this horror movie happening, um, I didn't even realize it was a horror movie. I didn't realize that there was <laughs> ghosts in it. I didn't know there were vampires right. in it. I didn't know that it has anything to do with The Shining. I didn't know oh, that shit. there was a hotel. I didn't know that Ewan McGregor was in it until the fourth or fifth time I watched it because I was just in love with <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson. She is the incredibly first captivating. I, watched it, I was just like, this woman, I would murder children. I would murder younglings <laughs> just to have dinner with this woman. She is absolutely, absolutely incredible in this. Yes. Like, and if you look at it on paper, the character is fucking ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it could be schlocky and goofy as fuck, but when she's... We, let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, me and my buddies used to fucking try to make our own movies all the time, right? Right. And we, we were trying to write at one point. We were trying to do all these different movies. And I kept trying to put this character into these movies who was this like stupid fucking like some like he was me playing it. So it was a white <laughs> dude, but it was almost like a ridiculous fat Albert kind of character, yeah. like somebody who would exist in, in the fucking junkyard gang or whatever, you know, like like Mushmouth or somebody, but like a white right. dude and he had his hat over his mouth uh, face and he was just called hat. <laughs> that was his name. And my friends are always just like, we're not putting that in this fucking movie. This hat character of yours is stupid. Get hat tried, the fuck out of here. I tried for so long. And then now this chick is like the coolest fucking, and her name is Rose the hat. I'm the hat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, see, I was like, onto oh. something. I was just fucking lost guys. I was, I had, it was the beginning of something cool. Yeah. Yeah, the bones were there. But guys, uh, her, she's named Rose the Hat because she wears a cool hat. How fucking yeah. stupid. It's so fucking stupid. It works the whole time. And she's like so attached to it too. It's so funny. Yeah, and it, but it works. Oh, yeah, I say, it it's such doesn't a weird just quirk. work. I'm captivated by it the whole time. I'm just yes. like, yes, her name is Rose the Hat. She has that cool hat. The hat is cool. Well, Do you have like a hat that watch, cool? I don't because I'm not to her. To watch the same woman who just tortured a, a young boy brutally and be as vicious as she is, scramble to grab her hat that fell off her head because she needs her hat. It's her bit. It's uh-huh. fucking amazing. It's such a like interesting choice for a character. Right. She's very fun to watch. It's also interesting to watch uh, a woman torture a child and suck his soul out through his mouth. <laughs> and then also Google to try to find if you can figure out her address to send her something. <laughs> Because you are infatuated with her. No, I do. I do. I think she is a, an incredible actress and a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that she takes this movie to another fucking level. She is such a good no, foil for McGregor. 
Yes, I agree. And and what and Abra and what they're doing, and her attitude and, is so interesting and like she's cold, but still like yeah, I don't know. She fucking nails it. And I really like Crow Daddy as a as he's yeah. such a cool like like uh, second you know like like right hand man that she's Absolutely. got that, that and he's so different and even like the way that they you know how they introduce them by them luring in snakebite andy and bringing her into the whole group you know and i don't know it's it all of it whatever i remember even remember like i knew some of what was going to happen in dr sleep because i read the joe blow review of it beforehand right and i already knew about the knot and all that kind of stuff and i'm not gonna lie going into it even then i was like this is probably gonna be stupid right you know, I was like, but I just have some time to kill and I just love going to the movies. Right. So, and I like, I remember walking out of the movie. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm like walking to my car texting you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, yeah, say, you were like, the, like, dude, you have to check this shit you out. You gotta go see Dr. Sleep. It's fucking great. And I'm not gonna lie. I was hesitant because again, as someone who read the book, I'm sitting here kind of being like, there's no fucking way this movie works the way that you're saying it does. There's no, I love you, buddy, but did you hallucinate something during this? There's no fucking oh. way that Dr. Sleep is that good of a film Again, I'm not even somebody who would shit on the book. I think it's a lot of fun, but I, you know, it's it's not something that when you see the movie made of it that you would think it would be so grab you in such a way, you know, and be so emotional and be so fucking just on point in all these different ways. Like, so I, it's, that was my fault. I should have fucking gone and seen it immediately because I would have been like, no, bro, you are so fucking right. And uh, this movie needs all of the accolades. Like, like you said, it's a, test- off. it's a testament to Flanagan because of how he can pull in the book and the movies yes you know and make it a sequel to both of them holy shit and uh bringing in stuff like the mind libraries concept that's really like in, in Dreamcatcher and shit like he really it's totally in Dreamcatcher, extra yeah. stephen king stuff into it mm-hmm. i mean it's just like it it's it's fucking amazing like yeah again little things like uh in the book rose actually at uh, the the Overlook area where the hotel used to be is now the camp that the knots are hanging out at. It's their final place. And uh, she's knocked off of her observation platform and she breaks her neck and dies. Uh, in the movie, we still get a sequence of her falling brutally off that fucking thing. And it's really fun to watch that happen. Doesn't oh, kill yeah. her. But again, like just these little, these little tastes of the book while still tying it more into the Shining film and making it a direct sequel. Like he just, he, again, tight rope. And that motherfucker does backflips over it. It's incredible. And even like, I remember seeing the uh, posters for it with just like red rim on the chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is going to be fucking kind of stupid. Oh, God. Yeah. And even absolutely. that is cool. Yeah. Even every single fucking bit of it is so well done. And then, so you go on this ride, you, you start this movie, and very quickly, if you're open-minded enough, you realize you're not seeing The Shining. You're going on a different right. trip with different kind of characters. And I just let myself go. And I was on this ride with Ewan McGregor and Opera mm-hmm. and The Knot and learning all this stuff. And then you go through and then you hit the final third of the movie, the final act of the movie. Oof. And you, we are, it's nighttime. We are dry, We are flying. That opening overlook. shot. The music oh just kicks back up again. We're yes. driving to the hotel. And like, I, like, I am moving in my seat like, like oh yes. yes like i am so <laughs> yeah. fucking excited because we have played around in this world of the shining for the past hour and 40 minutes yeah and we've had a blast through this story and now they're like flanagan tells us don't forget what this is where this comes from yes don't forget that this is not just another a story on its own it is a sequel to the shining 
Yes, and it has a world that it fits in. We are going back to the Overlook Motel. Yes. You are seeing the carpet. We and are, the full conclusion of, of this tale of Danny, finally. You yes. Know? And it is, man, I have goosebumps as we're sitting here talking about it. I know, yeah. So that, and, that shot of them doing the night uh, cut of the opening shot of the, the film uh, the, over the lake the and everything. Water, yes. And it's just yes. like, oh, my God. As soon as we see those trees in that little island, I was just like, oh, fuck yes. Like, this is amazing. And because yeah, that's just, one of my favorite intros of any film of all time. Like, yes. To me, it's that. It's the cruiser going over your head at the beginning of Star Wars. Yes. Like, you know, like there's, there's certain movies that are just like the, in, the very beginning just like, is so iconic and and the 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 opening raptor scene of jurassic park when you know right. shooter um, <laughs> you know just there's just different things like that that are just always ingrained in my heart and soul and like Absolutely. the beginning of the shining is one of those and when it is just on point in that little island in the middle of the fucking lake and you and go and it's black now and like and it's snowing and it's already winter and the music kicks back in again like i i I can't even explain. It was it was one of those feelings that you miss. Like I don't get excited about that kind of st- about anything that much since I was a kid. Right. Absolutely. You know, like like you lose some of that no matter how much of a childlike wonder you have. You lose some of it in adulthood, and like mm-hmm. I just I just remember just that overwhelming rising feeling in my stomach of fucking yes. Here we are. Yeah, it's yes, that chewy like, we're home moment. You know, it really it is. It really is, and like oh. And then, and then the whole what plays out there at the mm-hmm. Overlook is just it's the whole thing's master strokes, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree, one hundred percent. And I yeah, did it, not, I did not think Jack, we were going to get Jack Nicholson. Well, not really Jack Nicholson, but I didn't think we were going to get Jack Torrance. You know, to to that I didn't think it was going to be that well done. Yeah, I, I mean, like I with the fact that the how they brought Dick back because uh, in in The Shining he actually survives in the book and he is in Doctor Sleep still communicating with Danny okay. uh, in the book um, but like the way they brought his ghost back in and, and actually in Doctor Sleep the book we see like Jack kind of helps uh, get Rose pushed off this thing his spirit sort of comes back to like make amends I guess and we sort of see okay. him smile and you know like tip a hat kind of to, to Dan as he fades off into the other dimension it's, it's very cheesy uh, but the fact that we got sort of Jack's ghost now a part of the overlook, of course, taken by it, uh, but still being an entity within it and, and and interacting with Danny like that. It it was what the book was wanting us to feel, but fucking actually got it, you know, really gets you in the gut seeing Danny confront his father like that. And again, dude, playing Jack Nicholson so well, just the way he's looking and everything, it, it fucking nailed it. Oh, it's so good. Because the tendency is to overdo it with a Nicholson impression. Yes. But he just does the eyebrows way, way too far, you know, yes. like just the voice and everything. And like, yeah, he, he doesn't just, do too much affectation no. his hands on the bar. He just kind mm-hmm. of does the, the, that creepy look up with the, with the crow and brow. And that's all we need, you know, and that and yep. the hairline and, and it's perfect. Oh, it's so well done. I'm, I'm yeah, probably going to yeah. watch it before I go to sleep. Tonight. Well, <laughs> I just like, I keep thinking about it. Like, yeah, it, like you said, it was one of those things that really set with me. Like as I was done with it, just being like, motherfuck, like, and again, a piece of it just kind of being like, they fucking did it. You know, they fucking so, made Dr. Sleep good and cool and finished this circle that King wanted to do, you know. Did you just see it for the first time yesterday? Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's so this yeah. is, yeah. It's, yeah, I've, fuck. I dragged ass dozen, on it. A dozen I, times probably. I'm kicking myself for it. I, I really wish that I would have watched it before because this would have been one of those things where like, as I was sitting here going, well, like, okay, I got to watch The Shining and, and 237 again to refresh myself. And of course, we got to watch Dr. Sleep. Like, I would have been so stoked to watch it a second time, you know, or a third right. time. 
but watching it the first time and just like letting it wash over me in that way. And, and especially after just watching the shining. So really right. getting those shots at the end, like really, really seeing that last 45 minutes mirror what I just seen. It's it fucking works. God, it works so good. It's so fucking good. And now word <laughs> that we are going to get a prequel series. Yes. Now I, I, I fuck, I can't remember off the top of my head, but like, uh, is it Abrams? Yes, involved? it's it, it is uh, it is Bad Robot, um, okay. and it's the, mostly the same team that worked on Castle Rock. Okay. Uh, which I still have not watched yet myself, um, but the, my folks, being big Stephen King fans, they fucking love it. They said that it really is fun and does a lot of cool winks and nods. Um, so this might be a lot of fun. Okay, and it's going to be for HBO Max. Yes, so it'll which be is, able to. Man, HBO Max is really punches. going to. Uh... I might have to be getting HBO Max. Well, <laughs> you know? I mean, just to see Justice League. Yeah, yeah, you that's know, true. <laughs> cut for sure. Get into um, that, uh, also, retrial. if you don't if you don't watch it, you should really check out Westworld. Yeah, I uh, I need to. I watched the first season and really liked it, and then I heard things about the second season and let that sway me. So I haven't checked it out yet. But uh, it's still good. It's still it's still good. I mean, it's not as good as that. That first season though was so cool. It, that first season is fucking incredibly interesting. So, everything we know so far uh, that it's basically going to tell the story of. Um, the hotel being built, right? And I, I'm and they're kind of talking about just like stories of the overlook. Oh, that's right. So the original, yeah. there originally was going to be an overlook movie, right? Yes, that and was that, the original plan. That is dead. Yes, and this is so. This is going to be more just like stories throughout. I do like the idea of that prequel movie being the idea of the guy desecrating the. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a big part of that. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. dog, dog blowjob they... guy is actually in the movie is the owner of the hotel. Uh, True, yeah, a yeah. bigger part in the book. Um, but it's really interesting. Is it a dog a, or a bear? It is a dog in the book. He's told to okay. bark and howl and jump around on the floor. Okay. Um, but uh, the as I was like doing some some cursory research and stuff, I found a thing that I actually had never read before myself, which um, really like shocked me uh there was a bit that stephen king had written for the shining originally uh, uh, he had an epilogue and a prologue that he had never published and oh, it was wow. later published in like magazines and eventually in like a special edition but they were called before the play and after the play and after the play was sort of just like a wrap-up of what happens with danny and uh the the overlook hotel through sort of like newspaper clipping tellings in the same way that like carrie's wrap-up is okay. uh, but before the play is actually five sort of mini short stories that are all told about events happening at the Overlook Hotel. Uh, well, four of them are, and one of them is about Jack Torrance as a child having his own arm broken by his own drunken father, which is very interesting. Um, but the other four are stories that are elaborations of those people that we get a glimpse of, the ghost, the old lady in the tub, the owner and the dog guy, um, and I believe there's two more, the, the old caretaker and someone else. But yeah, those stories are like more elaborations of those tales told in the book originally. So there's kind of a foundation for them being able to tell more elaborate stories and pull even from this stuff. Uh, I think it could be pretty cool. Actually. I do too. I think it's going to be very cool. Um, at this point, I'm on board. I mean, I would even, I'd like to see, you know what I'd like to see? What? I'd like to see ABC do a mini series of Dr. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you get the guy from, uh, the other guy from Wings that was yes. the brother to yes. come back to play Danny. He'll play Danny. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be great. Um, oh, this is a great idea. Um, you know, actually, actually, one thing... actually, let's. Uh, I would think that a great for a TV. 
let's okay for a t abc tv version of dr sleep you can't go any better than james vanderbeek oh of course for bring for the Danny. vanderbeek back yeah yeah bring the vanderbeek back yeah <laughs> or somebody from dawson's creek i would be yeah. fine with joshua jackson too yeah joshua jack he needs work yeah joshua jackson needs work uh one French thing has been off the air for a while yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing I will give the uh, 90s short story, I mean, a miniseries is that uh, even though um, it's done kind of weirdly, it does explain who Tony is and is the yeah. only place we get like a real canon reason, even though it's very silly. Uh, but yeah, it's Danny from the future talking to himself <laughs> through the shine uh, because his name is Daniel Anthony Torrens. So Tony, yeah, I, that's all Stephen King there. I love the guy. Again, he's a schlock king, but <laughs> oh yeah. But it works. Yeah, but that's that's what we like about it. I mean, there's no Absolutely. nothing wrong with liking schlocky stuff at all whatsoever. No, and you know there is no pulp author that ever got to the the level that Stephen King has gotten as far as like mainstream appreciation. Like that dude really transcends what it means to be a pulp author, and that alone is worth praise. I think without a uh, doubt. But yeah, I mean, he's we he's, need some schlock. Without a doubt, he is hands down the most well known author of all time. At least the most prolific as well. I mean, I mean, I mean if you, there's very few people that don't at least know who Stephen King is. Right. Yeah. He is so you know, well known. I mean, think of an author that people more know more than him. Like, I mean, Shakespeare. Maybe. Like, yeah. But that doesn't really count because I mean, it's he's not alive. I mean, like. Right. Stephen King yeah, is alive, he, and anybody who's ever read peak, books yeah. knows who the fuck he is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very fascinating the the sort of level of of like fame and reverence. Yeah. I mean, talk about all the, the things that have been adapted from his works and, you know, like really the most adapted author is Philip K. Dick, but nine times out of 10 people would have no idea that those movies are based on Philip K. Dick's works, but you is know what a Stephen King is. Is it maybe, maybe not the last anymore. few years? It might be I King mean, now. There's been but... so much King stuff with, we had in the tall grass. That's right. Gerald's game. Gerald's game. Yeah. It one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Sleep. It wasn't great, the, but Under the Dome within the last under 10 the years? Dome. I mean, like... Um, we had the, the Hulu shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had... I mean, we're... There's... Right now, there's... But I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of Philip K. Dick stuff adapted. <laughs> but then you go back and start going through Misery, Pet yep. Cemetery, All uh, the 80s shit, yeah. Dude, there's... When... I can't remember... Well, obviously, in my life or your life, there's never been a time when there hasn't been something Stephen King in the works. Right. Or out whether yeah. it's a book or a movie or something. Yep. He has always been in pop culture. There is nobody quite like him. He transcends his own medium. And, and he's one of those dudes that like, you know, you get authors that will talk about how they feel about interpretations of their work. But like Stephen King fucking lets everyone know how he feels about things and yeah. puts himself in as much stuff as he can. And he takes onus of his own work more than just about anybody really does. Like, on top of the fact that he stays relevant by being like a fun liberal Twitter dad, you know, and like right. having, having the legacy of, of like Joe Hill's writing and stuff as well. Like King fucking, he is living up to his name. He's King. Absolutely. And, that, and now like, and, and now that he's even like, he's got, his son is even mm -hmm. becoming a very, very well thought of writer as well. You know, Absolutely. I mean, even if you go back to like hero seven books as underneath as Richard Bachman, yeah, yep. <laughs> his, seven you know, books. Own, Most people crazy. can't write seven books in their entire fucking... And he does that in a pseudonym. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. As a fun side project. I mean, his book on writing is like one of the few writing books that people who write 
professionally tell you is actually worth reading, you know, like yeah. he, he fucking knows what's up. I mean, then you th- uh, Salem's lot. Yeah. Um, the thinner, thinner. Oof. Um, what was, uh, uh, well, Langoliers, like we said, yeah. um, which is just people right now, ma'am, if you're listening to this and you've never seen the Langoliers television miniseries, then you have not seen suffering. <laughs> oh, it's Bronson Pinshaw's greatest role. Come on. Oh man. And just so you guys know, that's Balky from different strangers. I don't know if everyone knows his actual name. Um, yeah, man. When you look back on like the dead zone, that's yeah. Dead zone. Fuck that's, yeah. that's something that was a book, a movie, and now a TV, and a TV series. series. Firestarter. Yes. Cujo. Shit, the running it, man. Talk about the new it that was so popular. I mean, there was the Tim Curry it in the eighties. Absolutely, that was fucking popular. Like Christine. Yep, yeah, Maximum Overdrive. Pet Cemetery. Um, and then like books that didn't get turned into movies that were huge, like The Talisman. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, obviously the entire and then in the midst of all these horror movies or horror books, he also has this mythical thing that happens where he writes all these dark tower stories oh yeah yeah where he's doing like a western fantasy with some horror elements like yeah the the, 92 gerald's game dolores claiborne 94 insomnia Mm -hmm. oh insomnia is such a good movie too and how about the stuff that people don't realize that Stephen King wrote, like The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and Stand By Me? Right. You know, stuff like that. Like Stand By Me and Shawshank get overlooked all the time because they're not like directly horror, but they are directly Stephen King. I mean, Stand By Me feels like Stephen King to me too. It does to me too, yeah. Um, Oh, and and something else since we're we're talking about it, I don't know if you've watched it yet, but... uh, a fucking phenomenal Stephen King adaptation that just came out. It's The Outsider. Oh, yeah. Shit, I completely forgot that was his work, too. Yeah. Did you guys watch The Outsider? I haven't yet. That's all on the list as well. We, we have been backed up, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, the, yeah, the, the Outsider is just yet another example of, A, Stephen King being – I mean, it came out. He wrote it in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, and it's, it's supposed it's, to be a really great interpretation of the book, and it's also an incredible series from what I've heard. So like, and it is just another testament to how the high quality of product that HBO puts out. Mm-hmm. And it's just as good as Watchmen. It's just, I mean, it's up there with Chernobyl. It's 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 fucking True awesome. Detective. Yeah, absolutely. It's fucking awesome. I can't wait till you see it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Because, I, I, again, I didn't realize that it was Stephen King, and I keep forgetting, and then I go, oh, yeah, Stephen King's show. I got to watch that shit. Uh, it's, it's so... Plus it's, Bateman. I mean, basically, and Bateman directed it. Oh, shit, I didn't realize that, and too. That's so, cool. Yeah, he directed some. He's only in a couple episodes. Oh. Um, but uh, he directed... Yeah, he produced it. He's, it's like his company is doing that and doing uh, Ozark. Oh, okay. Um, which, I don't know if you've watched Ozark, but it's a fucking, I haven't. It's a masterpiece. Okay. It's Jason Bateman is just, I mean, that dude has turned into a whole different thing. What a career that guy's had from Teen Wolf 2 <laughs> yeah. to, the, to, to producing two of the best television shows in the world right now in right. Ozark and The Outsider. Man, those are two great shows. You're going to love them. There's three seasons of Ozark. Ooh. Like, yeah, like, I'm going to dive into Got time uh, now. Okay. Here, Ozark is. Uh, Jason Bateman and Laura Linney are a married couple. It's Breaking Bad, but with money laundering instead of meth. Oh, okay. It's 
fucking spectacular. I don't have, and there's this blonde headed girl. I can't think of her name right now. I could look it up, but I'm not gonna. She plays Ruth in the show. She has won awards for it. She is unbelievable. Her character is amazing. Get your fucking shit together, Marty. She's so fucking good. And like, and now the show, and Laura Linney is so fucking good in it too. He's great. She's a goddamn killer. That woman, that woman could fucking act us out of World War Three if she <laughs> right, right. She's yeah, fucking she is tremendous. a treasure. Yes, if you haven't watched The Outsider, dude, and if you haven't watched okay. Ozark, I, I man, I know I keep I suggest you a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, whenever you have you know a four year old and a one year old that go to bed at seven or thirty at night, you have you sit alone a lot, so you got, you got a lot time. time to watch shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you game. I I got to get back into gaming. My problem is that I don't game as much as I used to. And yeah, that's like what I've been doing a lot lately I, with for articles and um, shit. But. And something uh, uh, I don't know if there's any other. Here's do you have. Do you have any way to access Apple TV Plus? I don't. Man, I would I would almost lo- like if I could get you an iPad to loan you or something just so you could sign up for the one week free trial, just so you could watch the Spike Jones Beastie Boys documentary that's on there. Oh fuck! I forgot about that. Is that Apple Plus like only? It is. I think. Oh, it's shit. A, I think it is. I actually I, I could I have to look that up, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's an Apple Plus uh, exclusive. It is unbelievable. It is. Uh, I I just signed up for it uh, on Saturday, I think, and I've watched it four times. Oh shit! I'm. I'll, that's what. I, truly, that's what I'll watch while I'm editing this. Whenever I get out of this, it's so good because it's okay. different. It's it's something like you don't usually see as far as a documentary series go because it is Ad Rock and Mike D on stage. I think it's at. Uh, it's either the Beacon Theater or Radio City Musical. I can't think of which one it is. But they're on stage, and they they tell the story of the Beastie Boys. So they are narrating the documentary on stage as it happens behind them. Holy shit, that's really cool. So Spike Jones is up in the booth, and he is producing all the visuals and pictures and video clips that are taking place on stage behind them and then they have stools and they walk around on stage and tell stories and talk about everything from Whoa. first starting to opening for Madonna and run DMC all the way to right. their final show, which they didn't know was going to be their final show. Cause right. you know, they didn't know. Was, and I was there actually, it was at Bonnaroo 2009 oh, and they talk about it and they talk about Bonnaroo and being, and being the last show and they didn't realize and it's sad because you know, it's like, we didn't know it was going to be our last show. So like our yeah. parents weren't there. You Shit. know, like our our family, like we would have brought all of our families and stuff and made a big right. deal of the fact this is our last show, but we had no idea. And yeah, that's fucking sad. Yeah, it is. But it also is a giant, giant, giant point of pride for me that I saw the last show. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so uh, it's big bragging rights for me. Also. Yeah, no, that's that's a historical moment. Absolutely. But I would suggest to anybody listening to this right now, yeah. if you have any way to just sign up, for the seven-day trial of Amazon Plus, I suggest you guys do it. You might even be able to do it on your laptop, bro, through iTunes. Okay. Yeah, I'll give that a go. You might be able to do it right there. So there also, all the episodes are up for uh, Spielberg's Amazing Stories reboot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been curious about that, too. And let me tell you what else is fucking tremendous. Rob McElhenney, his show that's on Apple Plus. Oh, the with the game designer show? It's game devs to say to to say that that show and it is it's a silly show about game designers but there's also a couple there's also a lot more going on in that show 
Hmm. And, and you know, it's like saying that community is about some people in a community college or <laughs> Atlanta is about a guy managing a, a rapper. Okay. You know, it's, there's it's just like a bit reductive. Yeah. There's, there's so much more happening in this, in this. And uh, specifically like, it's all about these guys developing this game. And then all of a sudden halfway through the season, there's just a one-off episode that's about totally different characters designing a game before this game ever happened. Hmm. That's slightly related the things that you've seen, like some of the other video game characters that they've referenced are people that these guys, these other people have designed in the past, but it's such a deep cut almost, you know, it seems like it's like such a reach into this world that they would make this. And it's got Jake Johnson. Like it's got these big actors that come in to play these roles in this. It's, it's really fucking good. I thought that it was going to be, cause it's got the guy that plays, what's his name from, that's also on uh, It's Always Sunny. The guy that was a priest and now is a homeless guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rickety uh, Cricket. Yeah, yeah cricket, Cricket's in it. He works at the game development place. And uh, I know Charlie Day is also involved okay. uh, with the production of it. But like, I thought it was going to be way sillier than what it is. And it's funny and it is silly. But there's also a lot of uh, – it's very smart, too, and there's a lot of heart to it. Interesting. Okay. That's, that's one thing I really love. I love comedies that also might fucking get your eyes – fucking water and yes yeah something with like a little it. more emotionality like yeah i like a lot of heart to my to my comedies absolutely um, and that makes why it more well-rounded like i love a sitcom but i like a sitcom that actually has like three-dimensional character growth and stuff like the best example being schitt's creek i feel like yes no absolutely agree i mean that that show it couldn't be a sillier fucking show and it couldn't also have more heart oh and God. more balls and more yes to say yes than it does i'm so glad you suggested that show to me like of all the things for me to jump into like that i fucking love that show you know one of the best parts of that show is that they don't make any sort of big deal at all whatsoever about gay characters yeah queer characters just other people they're just other people on the show and and ancillary characters don't make no no one and that's that's what really because gay people on TV shows, like even when they're doing it positively, mm-hmm. um, they tend to overdo it. It tends to just and be the only thing about them. It's less yes, a part absolutely. of their life, and it is the defining trait of them. And on yeah. sh- and obviously, this is two straight guys saying this, but like on Schitt's Creek, gay people are one hundred and fifty thousand percent just treated like people. Yes, there's no there's no blinking light over their head. No, I I really love it. The one of the things that I was talking to to Nikki about recently too. I think the thing that really gets me about Shit's Creek is like when we talk about sitcoms that have a lot of emotionality and a lot of smarts to them and could do something great. We talk about Community and Thirty Rock and Arrested Development and these kinds of things that live in that world. They all have like this sort of fantastical element to them that brings them to this extra level. There are you know concept episodes and and these kinds of things. Like Shit's Creek manages to do all of the emotionality and incredibly guffawing hilarious and all of that while still maintaining this like incredible level of realism there is no like outside magic within the show and like that's fine and it fucking works and just saying that it's like a regular old family sitcom is again super reductive there's so much more to it without it having to have like special live episodes or or, like you know puppet episodes which i love those things but schitt's creek being able to do that without using them as a, an essentially a writing crutch. I fucking love it. It's great. We're just going to open this up. We're going to talk about Schitt's Creek for a little bit. So like, <laughs> I also love 
that I, I don't know. I just love that there's so much there's they they like we said with with the speech that David gives about wine. Yes. God, so I love good. that. It's so good. And uh, like here I am, like I said, as a straight dude, and stereotypically, this isn't how I am, but like stereotypically, straight dudes don't care much for watching gay male relationship, romantic yeah. relationships in film and television. Insecurity. Very much so. Uh, and I will say this right now that the relationship between Patrick and David is the greatest romance in any television or film ever. I agree. It is so without a doubt. It is so well done. Yes. The way that they are completely opposites, but like, as you watch it, there is never a moment when I'm not, when I'm like, when I don't think it's believable. Right. No. And we're rooting for them to grow together and for, and for David to grow and, and learn about how to deal with other people better, you know, and watching Patrick break out of his shell a bit and, and be more of a, you know, exper- experimental and, and checking out the world more. It's, and how it's Patrick so delightful. Is very buttoned down yes. kind of guy who, you know, had, has tackled, you know, has dealt with being unsure about his sexuality, obviously he's right. engaged to a woman and stuff before this and stuff like that. But like, well, even without that, he has a very button-down, or you know, or a button-up kind of fucking very stick by the books, you know. Yeah, he likes going to conferences and, and, and tax codes and shit. Like and like and like, you in a lot of times, uh, in films and television, they would tell you that that character would never find anything enjoyable in a character like David. Right. You would, but like the way that they play, and there's never, there's moments when you sit there and watch it, and you're like, oh, that dude finds that dude incredible. Yes. Like you can see it happening as you watch the show. It's just like, and they, they, they do it so, so well. And like, I think it's so good that maybe if we made it to where everyone had to watch that show, it would fucking really put a deal a blow to, you know, to just any sort of, uh, homophobia. I feel like that it may sure. be just just those six seasons might be enough to kill sixty percent of homophobia. If we well, I think in general, like it. everybody should watch anyway. The way that it handles like class breakdowns yes. and the way it handles like just personal relationships in a small town in general, like mm-hmm. it really does a good job of normalizing a lot of things that really are normal in people's lives and should be, but aren't really talked about in that way in what you would consider a mainstream sitcom. And it also, the way you say that, it also it makes me think of how it deals with all sorts of other relationships that aren't romantic relationships, like yes. brother and sisters. And, yes, and Stevie and David's friendship. Stevie, two people who were, who at one point had sex and then had to back up and be like, no, 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 <laughs> that's not where we need to go. And then turn that- watch their relationship rebuild. Yes. Yes. That's so that you know how many people have been through something like that. That's yeah, such it's a so genuine, fucking relatable. That's what real life is kind of like, and yes. and the idea that especially in a small town, the way that the way that Alexis and Ted fumble it so many times, and they're, they're amazing to to watch grow as well. That's that's a absolutely there. God, but something I really love about the show that is something that's not touched on enough in things I don't think is the relationship between Johnny and Stevie. Yes. And that is a relationship where you get something 
you find something parental in someone who is not your parent. Mm-hmm. Yes. That and mentor relationship. Besides the the whole Patrick and David thing, it's my favorite part of the show. Yeah, I really have loved watching that, bro. And if you have you seen the the last season? No, we we just finished the fifth season like two okay. days ago. It's yeah. on my Vudu account. It's not on Netflix, okay. so you okay. can watch it on there. Cool. It the way that it comes wraps up, you know, or, or the way that their relationship. I wouldn't say wraps up because they're still friends, you know, like no one, right. but like the way that on the show, it, yeah, it, the art it, concludes, the art concludes yeah. is beautiful. Awesome. It's, there are some moments in this last season between the two of them where you're just like, I don't know. It's just, it's so, and it's such like, as someone, maybe you felt this way in your life, probably with Steve, but like, maybe that's a step parent. So it's a little bit different, but like right. as two people who really didn't grow up with good relationships with their fathers. Like, yeah, I've found that in other places before. Absolutely. You know, I, I found someone that's, I, that's not even been family. That's someone that's taught me a lot about being a man. Yes. Or whatever it is, you know, some person, yeah, is, just surviving or whatever. Just looked at yeah. me and said, you know, you should maybe be going this direction. And you're worth a damn. You're yeah. worthwhile. Even if your, your biological didn't bother or whatever, like, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch girl. I've really liked uh, how they handled the relationship when she was uh, dating the hotel guy, Amir. Is that what it uh-huh. was? And just like hit, Johnny's so awkward, but he's trying so hard. He really uh-huh. loves Stevie and he really wants to support her, but you know, they're both not quite sure how to, how to be in that relationship. It's great. But that moment when she walks, when they walk off the stage mm-hmm. and he's, they have the award and yeah. that's when it all dawns on him because she's not excited Yes. And it all starts to, and then, then as they talk, he comes to realize that everything fell apart. Yep. And like the way he just snaps into it. Well, let's just go then. Yep. Yep. It's fine. You, we need to do something else. Yeah. I I, I love it. This dude, this dude has spent the, the last episode and a half talking about this thing. Yeah. That they're at. And the minute that she's just like, shit's not good. He's just like, fuck this place and fuck all these people. You're what, here's what matters. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just make the, you let's, happier. Let's bounce the fuck out of here. Yes. And like, it's obvious, like as that moment happens that no one has ever put her first. Right. Like Absolutely. That. Like she is, she is taken aback by that moment in a lot of ways. Like dude, that their relationship in that show is so impactful to me that I am, I've been fighting off crying since we've been talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. Like, yeah, it's it, it. It really is so like touching, and again, like relatable, like for people like us for sure. But like, it, it, the and the way that it's portrayed, they're acting. I mean, it, it, they're just so natural. Even though it's silly, and everybody pulls faces. Like, I've never fucking seen people pull faces before. But those moments of sincerity are so fucking sincere. They rival dramatic programs. Like. I love it. Dude, something that this will get me teared up too. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm just going for it. Cause this show makes me so emotional. This show is, is done. Like it's just, it's made me, it's taken me to so many cool places mm. in, in my feelings. And I like that. I like that something that can make me, you know, whenever you can just watch images on a screen and they can make you feel deeply yeah. some things like, I love that. And something else, another relationship that the show delves into is whenever you find somebody who might annoy the fuck out of you, but it turns out that you're their best friend. Right. You know, like the whole, the whole thing with Johnny and Roland yes. is just like by the end of the season, <laughs> by the end of this last season, it's going to become super endearing. Oh, great. When every, but as you realize that 
these five seasons of Roland and his attitude and the way he <laughs> talks to Johnny and stuff like that, you realize in the sixth season that is a hundred thousand percent an act, and he right. is absolutely in awe of this man. And it's beautiful. This this last season is master strokes from the first episode to the end of it. It is just oh, I'm so excited. Oh, it is so good. And, and like I didn't, I thought it was going to be the dumbest show in the fucking world. Same, same. It's you called Shit's Creek. Yeah, it's tried and, to make, it's so fucking. It, again, just like Doctor Sleep on paper, <laughs> it seems like it would be fucking stupid. It's Canadian. Who yes. the fuck watches Canadian TV? <laughs> what Canadian shows have you heard of besides Degrassi? Right. I haven't heard because I haven't heard of any of them. Trailer uh, Park Boys, I guess. Trailer <laughs> Park Boys. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But like, uh, what the f- like? Nothing like this. Yeah. And, who would have and, known that the greatest show I've ever seen is this fucking little? But you know. It's Eugene Levy. It's Catherine yes. O'Hara. Yes. You know? And, and, it's, and that's it's what Chris I should realized from the beginning. You know, and it's like when, when I hear Shit's Creek, especially in the beginning of it coming out, it was around the same time that people were talking about that uh, the the farm or whatever the fuck, the show, the ranch yeah. with uh, Sam Elliott and fucking Kusher or whatever. Like, uh, so I was kind of lumping them in the same category. That's what Shit's Creek sounded like to me. It was another like. Same. Uh, pandering, folksy, nonsensical bullshit comedy right, show right, on Netflix. Quietly right wing. Yes, yeah, absolutely, show, yeah. absolutely. But no, it's the like the complete opposite of that. In absolutely. Fact. Like, and yeah, again, Eugene Livian and uh, Catherine O'Hara, t- uh, people that I have admired and loved and, and gotten some really great emotional pulls from over the years. Anyway, like should have expected it to be a good uh, caliber, and then. Fucking uh, Daniel Levy, uh, Eugene's uh-huh. son, just being as fucking talented as he is, and just and then added Roland Roland, you know the yep. fucking story, like you say, Chris Elliott, like everything about then, the show just compounds you, to be amazing. Are you aware that Twyla is their sister? yeah their daughter yeah, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eugene they, Levy's daughter? There's a so at the end of the newest, the last season uh, on the Voodoo, at least you get uh, a 45 minute like retrospect, like making of. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And at one okay. point they read, uh, they read this letter from this uh, Facebook group of uh, mothers of LBGTQ kids. Right. And it's fuck, dude, you, if you can, if you can not get emotional, listening to them, read this <laughs> and watching, cause Daniel can't read it. The guy that right. plays, uh, what's his name? Noah uh, Reed. I think his name is that plays Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh he and I know his name because I'm. I listen to that fucking version of Simply the Best on goddamn Spotify. I learned it. I'm, <laughs> it's it's so gonna, good. I'm, I'm playing it my shows from now on. I love it. Nice. Um, but he has to read it. But there's, as you watch the documentary, you realize that Catherine O'Hara didn't want to do it. Oh shit! So they go to Catherine O'Hara with this uh, show, and Catherine O'Hara doesn't want to be on a show. She doesn't want to be wrangled into something for years. Right. That's just not her thing. I mean, what, what shows have you seen Catherine O'Hara on? I mean, other than SCTV, <laughs> that's it. Since then, she hasn't. This is the only yeah. other show she was ever She's on. She's been film career, that's so it. So yeah. she initially was like, no, I don't want to do it. And they stayed on her, and Daniel was just like, you know, it's like he's like family to her. She's watching Oh, yeah, they're like, been, he's been a child. Yeah. Like his aunt, you know, and uh, he's he just finally was just like, well, well, would you just do the pilot? If you just do the pilot with us, and if it gets picked up, we'll just tell them that there was a scheduling thing, and we'll just recast. And we can find somebody else to play more. So finally they get her convinced to do the pilot. And she does the pilot. And then nothing happens for a while. And then finally the show gets picked up. And they have to go back to her and be like, 
what about maybe just do it season by season? If maybe we'll do <laughs> one season. If you and if you hate it, we'll write you off the show or something. But like we don't want to have to recast it. Like we would rather you play Moira, even if it's just for a short time. Right. And then, you know, wind wind up she just play was, you know, she's on the show. I'm glad. Well, there's another interview I saw somewhere on YouTube. I could I could find it and send it to you, where someone asks it's like uh, David and Alexis and Johnny and Moira and Stevie and they're all getting interviewed and Thanks. this lady's just like so you know Catherine O'Hara she's like so you didn't want to do this show at first and it took a lot of, of convincing to get you to actually sign up and be on the show is that you know she's like I heard about that she's like what do you have to say about that and she's like well she's like I did not want to do the show she's like I did not want to do a TV show and I just Finally, I caved, and she's like, and how silly was I? I did not want to do this show whenever <laughs> Daniel had written the character that I was born to play. And Daniel Levy <laughs> Absolutely. just – Daniel Levy takes his glasses off and just puts them on the table and just starts crying. He just starts oh my crying God. his eyes out right there. And they're like, Daniel, are you okay? And he's like, she's my hero. He's like, I can't <laughs> believe she would say something so kind. He's like, she's just – He's like he's oh, and like they just that's amazing. Seems like he's a real dude, even though he's like yes. a super bougie. Even in his real <laughs> right. life, he's even in his real life, he's definitely like like that dude's apartment is fucking put together. I'm sure Immaculate. you know what I mean. Like yeah, I'm for so, sure. I'm so fucking lily. That don't they don't fuck around. Like he ain't yeah. as crazy as David, but you know that guy doesn't have. He's got he has that comes he, from somewhere. He he dresses way nicer than either of us do. I guarantee, right, you, I, absolutely. I guarantee you he has a better sense of style than, than I do. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is, this has been fun. Um, yeah. We should probably wrap it up. Since stories. We, yeah. We've, we've, we've really, we've really lost our way <laughs> from the shining, but, uh, but uh, shining Shits Creek, whatever. They both are about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'll say they both hold a very special place in my heart that yeah. I don't think they'll ever leave. You know, they, they both start with shh. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It's good enough. It's good enough. <laughs> They're it's both the testaments to why we love the art of filmmaking and, and these kinds of things. You know, yes. the, this medium, television, film, whatever, it's it's the same beast to a certain extent. Like Absolutely. We love it. Well we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and enjoyed yeah. uh, listening us talk shit about the shining and the shining universe and everything <laughs> that's going on. Um we hope you guys had a good Memorial Day. This is uh, it's ten forty yeah. p.m. Central right now. So hopefully, when we get done, I can have this up and technically still up by the end of the day Monday. <laughs> make um, the make the mark, yeah. Yeah. If not, it will be technically very very early in the morning Tuesday. We'll just have to see. Um, but uh, fine. Time we, is meaningless to all of right. us in the choir. So it's it's a man made construct. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So, but we will be back next week uh, with a full episode. Uh, we will be back. Uh, with Ian discovers a hip hop album. Oh yeah! So that's going to be very exciting that we get to return to that awesome segment. Oh yeah! Um, I'll have some thoughts. Some thoughts. Some uh, thoughts. We'll, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about all sorts of other stuff because there's a lot of stuff still going on right now. I like. I want to talk to you about how Scoob is building a Hanna Barbera film universe. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. that sounds like something I want to chat about. Bro, Tracy Morgan plays Captain Caveman in this movie. Really? I okay, I gotta watch I, Scoob. I can't even explain to you how many Hanna Barbera characters show up in this. Oh shit! Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That was not the vehicle I was expecting it to be. But no, it's way different. I mean, it still needs to have Matthew Lillard in it. But um, oh, of course. 
I can see. He will always be our shaggy. He is our shaggy. Um, he Sugar. will be our shaggy. Yeah, uh, that was also my shaggy. <laughs> can we get shaggy to play shaggy? Mm. <laughs> you have to be a, a slick motherfucker to like in your songs. Sometimes this is the lyrics. Mm. <laughs> just that. That's that's written in there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Hey Shaggy, let's run that back. I want to hear that. Do, do another ooh. This time, like a little bit sexier. You got it, man. Everybody likes Shaggy. That's why he's playing at the fairgrounds. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> if people didn't love him, he wouldn't play state fairs. Um, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, we will be back in it with a full-on episode next week. Um, we've got some a lot of cool shit to talk about. Sorry that the radio show hasn't. Sh- didn't start this week i apologize everybody i'm having a little issue with my laptop technical um, difficulties yeah i uh i don't know how capable of this radio show my laptop is actually going to be so <laughs> i'm looking at a couple alternate things and uh yeah i might uh i'll be honest with you i might get rid of this arcade cabinet and get myself a new fucking laptop just so i can do this radio show there you go that's Games where i'm at right this point Games will always be around yeah i want to do this fucking radio show so bad so anyway, I'm getting to work on it. So hopefully I will, it will be happening here in the next couple of weeks. Anyway, that's about all I got. Yeah, it's same here. All right. For Ian Maxwell, I'm Josh Custer. And for Josh Custer, I'm Ian Maxwell. Saying, enjoy, enjoy your, your boils. boils.